we're going to be in James chapter 4. This is a great time to, for those of you who are visiting or if you haven't been around in a while, a, a good uh, time to do a refresher of how we got here. Uh, we started a, a view of the book of James after we studied the Sermon on the Mount because it really is, as we've called it in the series, taking the gospel to real life, gospel on the ground. It's like, how is the Lord teaching us and showing us things that we can actually apply to our life? That's the theme of James. Like, here's what God wants you to do, now do it. And as we find ourselves in this passage of scripture for the last couple of weeks, one of those things that it's only valuable if you do it, if you live it out, and if you practice it, is the value of being humbled by this whole process of which we're, what we're doing today. We just sang to the creator of the universe. Is that humbling or what? It's like we're going to open God's word and it's full of wisdom and application to, to, to uh, unlock your life. And it's like, if you do it. And the verse we looked at last week to really set the, um, set the table for something we're going to look at today again, so it's kind of a two-part series, is James chapter 4, verse 10. I'm going to read it again to you. It says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. That was the key verse last week. It'll be the key verse and concept today that if you really want to see the hand of God work in your life, you want to walk in the plans that he has for you, walk in the, the life that he's created you to live to his glory and to your joy, the, the, the breaking point of all of this is are you humble enough to do things his way? Will you be humbled so that God can do what he wants with your life, to lift you up? That is the, the way of following Jesus. It comes down to whether or not you will listen to what God says in humility. And last week we said, okay, the, the theme of this is to practice humility, put it into life, gospel on the ground, humility on the ground. One of the ways we practice humility is not simply by learning it, thinking about it, believing in it, but in relationship to people. So last week it was all practicing humility by being humble with people. And if you had to give the 3 a.m. wake you up in the middle of the night test and say this sermon was about this theme, it's, okay, practice humility by not judging people but loving them and then trusting them over to God. That was last week. And this week we're going to get a whole nother category of the way that it's sometimes hard to even know how pride slips into our life because it's such a big category of life. And that is the way that we practice humility by being humble with our plans. And this is a sermon, every once in a while you get one of those golden sermons that will, in fact, speak to every person at some stage of your life right now. Uh, one, if I was a better planner, we would have probably looked at this at the beginning of the year, but you don't have to just look at it in January. Because you come into this sanctuary this morning with convictions and ideas and dreams and problems and things that you're trying to work out in your life that aren't going to be worked out today, which means you've got to come up with a plan for tomorrow. That's, that's this thing inside all of us. How do we move the, the time and the, the resources and the energy towards something for the future to unlock our life? That's your plans, and we're all doing that right now. You've got plans for today. You've got plans for this week. You've got plans that you're wrestling that, that are going to take you through the end of the year and beyond. And this is not going to be a message to say, never do that. This is going to be a message to say, at what point do our plans become a way that we're taking back our life? 
or that we're not walking under the hand of God in humility so that he can lift us up, but we're trying to lift ourselves up through our plans. And so let's allow James now to give us the, the, the method of this, this sermon today by really sharing with us a story. Last week, we, we kind of looked at James in the view of Proverbs and then paralleled them with parables. Today, James is just going to give us a parable a story about some people that are going to plan things that will actually cost them humility and exaltation by God because of the way they're doing it. So we'll pick up in verse 13, James chapter 4. It says this, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. We're going to stop the continuous reading of the word just for a minute because as we go through this, James will give a response to these hypothetical businessmen. And he's going to give them some truth to humble their plans. But as he goes through that, he's also going to give them a caution as to why this is so dangerous. Look what he says in verse 16. But you boast in your arrogance. When you say, I'm going to do this with my life apart from what God says, he says you're actually boasting in arrogance and it's evil. You're walking towards sin. You're walking towards being at enmity or being uh, stiff-necked against God. So we better listen to the way that we're, we're walking out this thing inside of us to figure out life because every single one of us, as soon as we start working towards a plan, they can be totally God-blessed and ordained. We're also on the tightrope of pride every time we do that. And so... Um, as we get into this, I want to I frame it in a different word than just plans. In fact, if you uh, were here at the beginning of the year, we kicked off the year of preaching with Dr. John Whitaker, who comes to our church. He's also the host of the Listener's Commentary, which I recommend if you're going through the book of James in your own space. I use it to look at the book of James for my life, and he goes to our church, which is a blessing. Uh, you can find more about it in the lobby. Uh, but I bring him up because of the way that he describes this passage in the book of James. He says that this is a parable of presumptions. Presumptuous planning is the way that he sees what God is warning us in in this picture of of these two people or these people making plans. So I want you to consider this through the concept of presumption. What is a presumption? Let's read the definition. It's an idea that is taken to be true and often used as the basis for other ideas, although it is not known for certain. The presumptuous parable is that there is an idea of what you're going to do or what these people may do and may accomplish, but they're all being built on things that appear to be certain that aren't. They're all taking for granted that every time you make a plan, you're using a bunch of future ingredients that you're not sure are actually going to be there. So today in this parable, we're going to look at four presumptions that James is going to hold up to us to maybe caution us as we think of the method of our madness as we walk towards the future. The first one is this, today or tomorrow. This is the presumption of time. This is the idea that you get to decide when you do what you're going to do with your life. You could do it today, or you could do it tomorrow. You could have it happen now. You might do it a little bit later. But in all of your plans, pride will begin to creep in when they start to fall under your timetable. And I appreciate 
in, in, in this view that there are really two categories of people that James is calling out this morning. I, I, I can sense it in my own life, and I imagine there are two categories of people in this sanctuary right now. There are some of you who are absolutely today people, and you know who you are. You make a plan, you've got an idea, and there is something that is going to be implemented. It should have started yesterday, but it needs to happen right now because we're already five minutes behind. And your plans go into your timetable by the immediacy by which you want them to happen. So the today people, your struggle, the today people, the struggle is patience. The struggle is to say, man, God has put something in my heart, or I've got a vision for the future. I've got an idea for my life, and I want it to happen now. So the Bible is full of warnings against forcing God's hand towards the immediate, but here's a classic one. We're going through Genesis on our Wednesday night study. You're invited to it. And in that view of Genesis, you get introduced to the father of the nations, right? Father Abraham, and he's promised a son. And in that promise of the son, it's a promise of a miracle that will happen because God can violate the human laws of nature. He can open a barren womb. He can give someone a son in their old age. And this son will be the future of his descendants outnumbering the stars. And God says, trust me. And what happens? Well, we trusted you for 11 years. And it's now January 1st, and we're going to do a New Year, New Me kind of plan. And um, the, the, the child's not here, so I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do it now. We're going to do it today. And this is the unraveling of the story. As you force God's hand, you actually come up with methods that are not part of the miraculous. You do it on your own, and now you've got more trouble than when you started. And so the today people, you're listening to this, and God is saying there is actually some patience to this warning. And now we've got the tomorrow people. And I love the tomorrow people because I am a tomorrow person. <laughs> I love you. I, I, and, and this is another category of people. It's like the Lord is going to put something on your heart. He's given you a gift. He's given you a vision for the future. And you can absolutely see it happening someday. Maybe not today, but eventually we'll get to it. I especially love uh, my, my tribe for this in the tomorrow people. Um, and by the way, today people struggle with patience. Tomorrow people struggle with procrastination. And so my tribe, it's like we have our annual meeting, my tribe. Um, after we do our Christmas Eve service, uh, and, and it's like blessing, Merry Christmas, have an amazing God-glorifying morning tomorrow. I'm on my way to Target. <laughs> I have to go buy a gift. And I love going to these, you know, these little 24-hour stores on Christmas Eve because as I'm walking around, I have a huge grin on my face, and I'm like, hey, it's our annual meeting. All of my procrastinators are here with me right now. You guys didn't shop either until the last minute. Here we are, all doing tomorrow. And part of the presumption of time is that tomorrow is just going to be there. When you're, when, it, when you're ready, the plan will be ready. When you feel like doing something, it's time to do it. And the problem with this is it's not just plans for business ventures or plans for things that you want to do with education or career or someday you'll put yourself out there. These are things that we do for the convictions that God has put on our soul. Because today the word is going to be preached. And today the Holy Spirit's going to convict hearts. And he's going to give you things to do today to follow him. He's going to hold up the word and you're going to see yourself in a mirror and he's going to say, okay, now follow me. And you're going to say, I love it. I'm going to clean up my act. I'm going to rearrange my life so that God is at the center and he's truly the one I'm seeking. I'm going to clear up my time so the first thing I do out of the, out of the, the morning routine is not my phone. And I'm going to call this person I need to reconcile with and I'm going to cleanse my mind and I'm going to do it all really soon. <laughs> but not right now. 
It's going to happen soon. And the danger with this is that, remember the context of James chapter 4. This is actually wisdom that James is offering some arguing and fighting and war people. Why do fights break out between you? Because people are colliding. And James says, why don't you humble yourselves? And in the test of humility, he says, humble yourself against one another. And while you humble yourself, also you should probably give your time back to God because the today people and the tomorrow people collide all the time. The impatient people and the procrastinators are at each other's throats. It just happens. And I can share a story in my own life, again, from my family, as, as I got a reminder of the collision course of today and tomorrow people um, with something that happened about three days ago. There was a transitional moment, kind of a rite of passage for my family three days ago in uh, something that happened in my youngest son's life. He finally figured out how to get out of bed himself. So we have that little, you know, it's like you get the little wall to keep him in at night. And for the most part, up until three days ago, so four days ago, if he needed out of bed, he let us know. And then we would respond accordingly. We'd be like, yeah, we're not really feeling like you should get out yet. And then we just leave him in there because we wanted to keep going. Well, as he learned how to essentially do this jailbreak, <laughs> three days ago, he comes into my room and he lets me know that he's free at 5 a.m. by slapping my face. <laughs> he just slapped it. And then I was like, oh no, <laughs> welcome to the new era. Tommy is now able to get out whenever he wants. He slaps my face and I look at him and he said, it's time for dinner, dad. <laughs> and I was like, it's 5 a.m. Oh, you want it now and I want it later and now we're gonna fight. And this is a picture of all of the ways that time collides in our lives. I want it now, you want it later. And the real problem is, is the way we treat people is always a reflection in the way that we are trusting God. And God says now, and you say later. And God says wait, and you say now. And the presumption of time is that you get to call the shots, and this is the beginning of pride that you say, it's my life, not yours, God. And so James will give a response to all of these to take some of the presumptions and put, them, put some prevailing truth on the other side of them. But before we get to that, we look at three more presumptions that James will share with us. He says, we will go to such and such a city. So now you have the presumption of time. You also have the presumption of boundaries. And this one is going to violate a lot of the 21st century free thinking and free moving culture that we are a part of. There has never been a time in the history of the world where humanity has been more free to move about the cabin. The seatbelt sign is off and we all have our sights on the whole globe as to places that we may or may not visit or venture out into business, education, or different things that we'd like to do with our life. And nothing is off limits except for that the word says that God actually does appoint boundaries to our life and that he has us in certain seasons at certain times for a reason. And we're, we're reminded all the time in scripture that one of the ways that is apparent of someone taking back their life from God or never fully surrendering their life is the way that they think they can go wherever they want at any time. We looked at a parable last week to give us a picture of some of these relationships with other people when we looked at the parable of the prodigal son because when he returned, the second son started judging him. 
But there's part of his story that's really helpful for today because look what Jesus says as a detail that is important for the lesson as to what happens when the prodigal son inherits an extreme amount of wealth all at once. It says this, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far off country and there wasted his possessions. Jesus is telling a story with details that are supposed to teach us along the way. And one of the things is that when the guy gets the money, he says, now I can get out of town. Now I can start a life wherever I want, outside of the boundaries that God has made me for. And one of the lessons is that he had to return to where God had put him. That there are actually boundaries to your physical life that represent boundaries to your soul. This is a picture of righteousness and unrighteousness. We believe in a God, which is very scandalous to say, that has a narrow way to life. There is a narrow way to live. There is a truth and there is a way, and there are a lot of broad ways that lead to destruction. And God is saying, trust me with your boundaries. And we say, I'll go to whatever city on my time that I feel like. Here's how one theologian put it. The very nature of sin is to desire to overcome our limitations and boundaries because of anxiety of our creaturely existence. The nature of sin is to violate the boundaries of God. And that is one of the stories that we hear about sin from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 when sin enters into the world to cause the spiraling effect that all of us still deal with. Did God really say that that was the boundary? Did God really say to not eat of the fruit? Can't you go beyond the boundary and do what you want to do? And here we are, 21st century Americans, and we want to define the boundaries of our life, and we want God's boundaries to be our boundaries, so it's like I'll see you at Calvary Chapel at 11, and then I'll tell you when I see you next. You're building your plans on uncertainty because you don't get to know where your boundaries of time, geography, and the boundaries by which you drift from the worship of God exist in pride. Humility says, God, I go where you tell me to go. Not only with the travel of my life, but with the wanderings of my heart. I center it on you, God. With my mind fixed on you, my boundaries exist as you define them. And as soon as I go beyond that, it's sin. And now we have another presumption. We are gonna spend a year there. To spend one year, here's the time frame. I'll give it a year, and in one year, I'll make my next plan. And this is the presumption of plans that all of us can live in from time to time, and, and this is such a tightrope of a sermon because I don't want any of this to come across as though the wisdom that God gives you for the future and the vision you have to organize your life with, with shrewd wisdom to his glory, to walk in the good works that he has prepared for you, those are all things to be honored and celebrated unto God's glory and submitting to him. But there is a way that we call the plan and we say, this is what I'll give it. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's the time of year that we're in, right? It's January. It's the diet that all of us want to, to live within a certain time frame, right? So it's like, okay, I admit that in December I went pretty hard on the calories. I will admit that. So in January, I will give myself three months to get the beach body. 
And that's something that all of us, I mean, the, 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 the timestamp is there. But you see the problem with the timestamp, because what happens? In three months, you do well. You've committed to a time frame, not necessarily a life. And in that time frame, you avoid the bad calories, you consume the good ones, and you, you exercise more than you consume. And the mirror starts to show you the beach body that you're after. And it's working. And what happens after three months? I made it, and I arrived. Now pass me the calories, I'm going to the beach. <laughs> and this is a problem as to why so many diets are fads, and you crash, and they come, and they go, because what your body doesn't need is three months, it needs your life. And it's the same exact problem of the soul. You hear the conviction of the Spirit, you say, God, I'll give you a couple months with this. I will seek you for a week of prayer. I will seek you in the morning until I think I've got it, and now that's a rhythm that I can kind of retire till next time. I was, I was sharing this with our staff. We do staff church on Thursday mornings. So we share this message, and I'm like, what do you guys think? How often do we tell God the time frame by which we will serve him and he can work for us? One pastor says, yeah, I remember coming to the Lord, and I said, I'll, I'll do three months. I'll follow you for three months. We'll see after that. It's like, yeah, still here. Good job. That three months turned into a lot longer than what you expected. I remember when I became the pastor of this church in the lead role in teaching, I remember saying to many people, and some of them laugh at me now, I'll be here for three years, not a day longer. Because that's all I got. I got three years, and I got plans for my life that take me other places. And some of you are like, what's the end of the story? I'm on year six. So my plan was not the plan. Because I don't get to call the shot in humility and submission to God as to how long I will give him to work in my life. And the danger of this is that it's not just three-month diets or three-year commitments. These things can exist in our hearts without us even really realizing it in really dangerous ways. Because another brother raised his hand to share his story at Staff Church, and he said, you know what this reminds me of? is when I was struggling with sobriety in my life, I met someone who had one of those medallions for the, the check marks of how long you've been at it, and he had a 10-year sobriety token. He said, I looked at that, and I said, that is something, that's a goal worth dying for. I want to get that. And you know what happened? He got it. He spent 10 years focused on that medallion. And he said, with 10 years and one day, I threw away all my sobriety. He gave it 10 years, and he got it. And the next day, he had to start all over. Because God doesn't want your year. And he doesn't want a five-year commitment or a 10-year commitment or a rhythm with your life that's like temporary because you're still feeling out. God wants your life. And we give him our time frames. It's a presumption of plans. And finally, it says, buy and sell and make a profit. The presumption of provisions. This is such an easy temptation to fall into in, in, in almost a God-honoring way because there exists ideas to make money and opportunities to grow a bank account that could absolutely bless the kingdom and set you up to become a missionary. And we all feel the temptations like, okay, I want to follow the Lord, but it's not like I want to live off the donations of people giving like I'm a missionary or something. Those people are a little extreme. I'm going to work myself here. And it would be great to live for the Lord after I pay off all my debt and get out of all the trouble that I've been in, set up a little bit of a business, have some reoccurring income, then I will serve the Lord. I got to just make a little profit. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy low and sell high. Well, there's a couple problems with that. One, who provides for your life? You give me that answer and I'll tell you who controls your life. If God provides for your life in any way that he wants, because again, he can provide for your life through amazing business wisdom. Full, the Bible is full of God honoring people where he provided in abundance. And God can provide for your life by giving you peace when you have nothing. But so often we want to serve God in our own provisions. We want to be the ones that are actually getting credit for the way that our life is being supported. That's one problem. The other problem is as nice as it is to buy low and sell high, it's so much easier to buy high and sell low, isn't it? I'm way better at that. And one of the presumptions is your business is just going to work. And I'm so grateful for the state of the church for this exact point because how many of you have memory, memories that last two years? If you do, you know that it's a futile venture to tell God all of the ways that you're going to do what you're going to do because life changes very fast. And if you have a memory that's 10 years long, you, you remember the last market crash. And if you have a memory that's 20 years long, you remember the bubble blowing up. And every one of us has a story right now where you say, I didn't expect it, but it happened. And then God showed me the other way. When you lost your house, you lost your car, you lost your job, you had to start over, and your buy low, sell high plan totally fell apart. And then God says, how about in humility, I exalt you the way that I want to exalt you. So we have four presumptions. And all of them kind of point us back to this simple concept of humbly trusting God to control your life. Throughout this series, we've overlaid the Sermon on the Mount. So let's give another one, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and then we'll look at James responding to these presumptions. Jesus says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything will be added to you. The prophet, the city, the, the, the time frames, the plans, the wisdom. You seek God. You look to God's word. And Jesus says, he will take care of the details. And you have to remember this moment in the Sermon on the Mount is when Jesus says, stop worrying about what you're going to wear. Stop worrying about how you're going to make the money. Stop worrying about what you're going to eat. Start seeking God and trusting that the beginning of your faith is to believe that if you give God everything, and you stop standing on any presumptions of your life and you stand on his truth that it will work. That is humility that will bring you a life of God exalting you into what he has for your life. And so how do we trust that? Well, let's listen to James as he comes on the other side of some, some uh, presumptuous things that, that, are, that are not certain, some presumptuous uncertainties. Well, James will now give us the prevailing truth that will wait on the other side. As your presumptions do what they do, which is always run out of energy and run out of vision and run out of actual ability to care for you, on the other side of your presumptions will be some prevailing truth. And that's what James is going to give us now. Listen to what he says. James chapter 4, verse 14. You do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. How about you think about some things that are certain? Three truths that we'll draw from this. Number one, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. Tomorrow isn't certain. We don't know the details of 
what the state of the world, the decisions of the governments, your health, the markets, the relationships, the job opportunities that pull your teams away. Tomorrow is uncertain. That's why Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, the very next verse, he says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for today is today's trouble. Uh, if you're looking for somewhere to apply the energy of your anxiety and your worry, Jesus says, just focus on today. Tomorrow's, tomorrow's going to have plenty to think about. Tomorrow's going to have plenty of trouble for you to work out and to pray and to seek God and to trust him with. But today has got plenty too. So trust him today. I, I met, mentioned the Wednesday night service. That's led by one of our elders, Tom Velasco, and he's a close friend of mine and many of you. And um, man, I, I love going to our Wednesday night service. It's I guess I'm just using you as all as an armchair psychologist now, but it's my time to just kind of sit and enjoy the preaching of the word, sit and be part of the body. So on Wednesdays, I just love being part of, of this, but to receive. And I love receiving from Tom last Wednesday, all of that to say, thank you for that rant. Uh, he was, uh, last Wednesday we were in the book of Genesis and he was talking about this moment in the story where Joseph is gonna meet the brothers that betrayed him. And the brothers are, are the, they're like a case study in worry and anxiety and what's going to happen. How are we going to provide? What are we going to tell our dad? How do we cover our lies? They'd lost control of the narrative. They, they don't have their hand on the details of the plan anymore. And Tom wisely used as an opportunity to remind us of the beauty of when that happens in life. Because every single one of you have parts of the narrative that will slip out from under your fingers. You'll lose control of the plot. You'll lose control of the direction. The plan will start to fall apart. Don't worry about tomorrow. Here's what Tom said in this moment. He said, ingredient number one to happiness is admitting you can't control most things. And most is like a really big word there. Like you can't control anything. God is sovereign over your breath. He's sovereign over the creation and the sun rising and going down. He, he's appointed rulers, and he, he allows for things to, in his, in his wrath for unrighteousness to bleed out to show us our need for a Savior. You can't control your salvation. You can't control the way that God is moving in your life. All of these are beautiful reminders that there is a God that is sovereign and can control, and the beginning of your joy is to admit that you can't. Tomorrow is so uncertain. Truth number two, your life is a vapor that appears for a little while. Tomorrow is uncertain and tomorrow isn't promised. A prevailing truth for anyone who's making plans that they feel like are certain that have anything to do with the future, you are now standing on uncertain ground. You are now standing on a moment of great pride or great humility because what James is gonna say is that life is a vapor. You go outside in the morning and you breathe that morning air and you see the vapor of your breath and that is your life. It comes and it goes so fast. Here's how Moses talks about it in Psalm chapter 90. The days of our lives are 70 years and if by reason of strength they're 80 and they're boasts in labor and sorrow for they'll soon be cut off and fly away. You get 70 or 80 years as a general window of course, none of that is promised. 
They'll soon be cut off. In the meantime, you can expect hard work and trouble and sorrow. It's a difficult life. And, and Moses reflects on that in a moment of worship to do what? To teach him to trust God. Look what he says in the following verses. So, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. James wants us to be wise. He wants us to know God. And part of that is to know that your life is so short that you would live with wisdom because you don't have a lot of life to get wrong. This is the only day that you got right now. And I, I ponder that. It's like, how does God teach us to number our days? Well, one of them is just to have the honest conversations. That part of the truth that James wants to bring us to is a reality that we run from all the time, that we got a bunch of time on the clock and we don't need to think about death because we're too busy living. And one of the ways that he teaches us to say, remember, your life is a vapor through the picture. Uh, another way to learn the numbered days and the nature of the brevity of your life found in, in the wisdom of Solomon. Look what he says. This is, this is a countercultural uh, verse. He says, better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of men, and all the living will take it to heart. And when I say counterculture, I'm like, this is counter-Christian culture. Because Christian culture can so easily pull people into the tide of the feast, the earthly feast, the Sunday morning feast, the joy and celebration of knowing Jesus on this side of heaven, which there's plenty to celebrate about. But Moses says it's sorrow and labor on this side of heaven. So don't think too much about the feast. Think more about what the feast is a preview of when you get to eternity, and it's never-ending. And how do you think about the real feast? Stop spending so much time in the immediate and start thinking about and spending time with people who are in the mourning process because they're looking at the end. They're staring at it. And in a sanctuary this size, you, you all have touch points to moments in your life when death knocked on your door, your family's door, someone you loved, and the word today says that was something that God used in your life to remind you of your own fate, and that should be celebrated. Because all of us have a moment waiting for us where we stand before God and remember that our life is so short. Recently went through a book called Show Your Work about living your life open before people so that they can, you can sharpen them, they can sharpen you. And he says one of the reasons we don't do that is we're so afraid of people being judges of our life. It's like, oh, wow. You want to know how you, you solve that according to this book? Look what he says. Read obituaries. <laughs> Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help make the big choices in life. And as someone who gets to be a minister at funerals, I can tell you that one of the most powerful times I have whenever, I'm, whenever I have the opportunity to do it is at a funeral to see people who are so in touch with this reality that their hearts become soft. My favorite time to preach the gospel is at a funeral because you have people that have opened their hands to the questions of life. Tell me how to make sense with the end. It is the softest soil. It is a time where the judgment of man goes down and the awe of God goes up. And James says to us now, consider it. Your day is coming. Truth number three, Life vanishes away. Tomorrow isn't certain. Tomorrow isn't promised. And tomorrow won't remember. We spend so much time making plans and thinking about our name 
the, 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 the amount of money that we can make, the amazing cities that we can live in, and the, the, the story we're telling about our own life. And James says, one prevailing truth that your uncertainty will be washed away by is the reality that when your life goes, it vanishes. <laughs> we spend so much time thinking about other people thinking about us. The one freeing truth this morning is most people aren't thinking about you as much as you think. I love to remember that. <laughs> it's freeing for all of us. And, and even more freeing is that your life is a vapor, and as it, as it goes into the hands of God, it really, your life was lived before him and him alone because it does not take time before history rolls through and it rolls over your life like dirt over a grave. And we are a sanctuary full of names and reputations and stories that in one generation will mostly be gone. Why are there so many wars? Why is there so much battling? Why is there so much pride for us to get what we want when it's all vanishing away anyway? And again, so much of this is a spiritual pursuit. How much of the stuff that we do before God matters? Because I can tell you, this stuff, these sermons and notes and these gatherings, they're the most blessed thing you can do before God and the most meaningless thing you can do before men. They don't matter if it's not honoring to God because he's the only one that will judge them in the end. Paul says this to a church that was in chaos. James is writing to people in chaos. Remember what matters because most stuff doesn't. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love never fails. But whether the, there are prophecies, they'll fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. This is all, as Paul will go on to say, a reflection in a mirror that is so dimly lit. And most of the things that we're arguing about and thinking about and worried about are vanishing away. And Paul says there's three that matter. Your faith in God, your hope in God, and your love for God. And that's it. Your life is a vapor, and that vapor vanishes away. Three prevailing truths to blow away the uncertainty in your presumptions. And so what's the answer? If truth prevails, and you come to a place where you're no longer standing on presumption, what are you standing on? And so James will now tell us the answer. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we should do this or that. How many of us are living a life of planning and praying and wise vision for the future that comes before God and says, what do you want? What do you want with my money and with my family and with my gifts and my talents? Because I'll do whatever you tell me to do. If you will, I'll do it. If you do not will, I, I, I repent of it. This is the answer. This is now calling us back to the theme that we started with two weeks ago. Who's in control of your life? Last week, it was like, who's in control of other people's life? Be humble with people because God's in control of their life. So love them, don't judge them, and trust them to God. This morning, we say, who's in control of your life? You want to find out who's in control? James says, instead, you say, what does God want? How does my life fit into the bigger plan of God's plan for the world or for this church or for my kids. God, what is your will for my life? 
And there's books and series and a, a, a long conferences that will now ask the next question that hopefully some of you are asking is like, well, how do I know God's will? This is the question of your life. This is, you now remove time frames, remove boundaries. This is the question that God calls you to every day. You don't know his will for a year or for five years or 10 years. You don't know his will in this church building and then find it again when you go on a retreat because you've, you found his will in the boundaries of life. You know his will when you give him your entire life and you never take it back. We look at the promise that James gives us in James chapter four, verse eight. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There is a humbling process that will come as you draw near to God. And one way that you are getting closer to the will of God is when you draw near to him, not to get your plans blessed, not to get insight into the next idea, but to be cleansed. To draw near to God, to say, I have been standing on presumptions. I've been living for uncertainty. I have been holding the reins of my own life through my plans and my judgment of people and me thinking that I'm at the center. I draw near to you. And as you draw near, here's how you know you're getting close. Cleanse me, oh God. As I get close to you, I realize how holy you are and how weak I am. There's one theologian that says that the only definition for success for your life is the radical will of God. Man, when I heard that, that changed and freed me because as a pastor, I can tell you, there are so many definitions of success that I can be tempted to think that I'm living for. Success could be that you, you, you found some, some comfort in a sermon. Success could be that you, you decided to start coming to this church. Success could be that we're sending missionaries and raising money. There's all sorts of success that's good stuff. But the only real success is if I do what God tells me to do. And that might mean the church is smaller. It might mean there's less missionaries. It might mean we live off less money. I can't measure success under anything is God the head of my life. And now you have a version of success. What is success for you? Is it buy low and sell high? Is it living in a beautiful city? Is it killing the plans that you had and checking off the bucket list of life? And the answer today is the only version of success that you will find God blessing is his radical and unique will for your life. And this is the tricky part. The only way you know that is by knowing God. You don't get to know God's will by coming to church and listening to a sermon. He, he, can, give you some, he can give you some invitation to follow him. You have to know God. That is the answer. The timing of this is perfect because today we're going to take communion. And communion can serve this moment for two reasons. One, as you draw near to God, 
he will draw near to you. When we draw near to him by holding the cup that represents his blood and the bread that represents his body, we are remembering how we have access into relationship at all. It is because he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. As we draw near to him, for those of us who believe, we remember and we say, cleanse us. The other reason for communion today is for some of you to take it maybe for the first time. To say, I no longer want to be in control of my life. I don't want to stand on presumptions because this whole thing is an exercise in seeing how I am not in control and I am ready to believe in a sovereign power over my life. Jesus must become Savior and Lord. We're going to stand and and worship. Before we do, I want to read one last passage of Scripture to to help us all make sense of this. It's coming in Acts chapter 17. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. In all of the ways that our plans fall apart, The gospel is being preached to our souls. God appointed your time and your boundary. And when his appointed time doesn't meet yours, you now have a moment where you can cry out for salvation to the God of all time and creation. And God appointed your boundaries, which means when you try to find a new dwelling, a new boundary of your heart, a new boundary of your mind, a new boundary of your life, and you hit a dead end, you fall off a cliff, The gospel is coming into your life to say there's a God who brought you to this place so that you'd know his boundaries for your life. And this whole message is the gospel now coming alive. God's design is that yours would fail so that his can prevail.